G'day and welcome to Recap, Per Capita's premier podcast where we examine inequality and unpack our latest work in a fight for a fairer Australia. My name's Shirley Jackson. I'm a political economist and the founder and director of the Centre for New Industry at Per Capita. I'm your host for this special edition of Recap, which is being recorded in Washington, D.C., where I've been on a study tour of America to find out a little bit more about some of the big announcements that have been made regarding the Australian-American relationship. However, before we get stuck into this exciting episode and introduce our guest, I just wanted to take a moment to acknowledge the land that we meet on because just like in Australia, this land belonged to a First Peoples long before people who look like me ever stepped foot on these shores. I want to acknowledge and pay my respects to the, and apologies if I'm butchering this, Nakoch Tank and the broader Algonquin peoples who inhabited these lands for thousands of years before our arrival. These were a prosperous trading peoples who had a sophisticated and complex culture based around the waterways and lands where Washington, D.C. now sits. And like many first peoples, they've been displaced, dispossessed and devastated by colonial expansion in the area. I want to acknowledge their continued struggle for recognition and justice and extend my solidarity to them. I also want to acknowledge and pay my respects to the any First Peoples who might be listening here today, either in the US or back home in Australia, and acknowledge that wherever we are, this place is, was, and always will be First Nations land. Okay, so today on Recap, we're going to take a closer look at the Australian-American relationship, and in particular, we're going to be discussing the AUKUS agreement and what it might mean for Australian industry. And a huge shout-out to our friends at the Washington, D.C. office of the Australian Strategic Policy Institute, who have very kindly let us use their recording studio today. But to help me unpack this complicated and compelling topic, I'm so thrilled to be joined by a friend of Per Capita who's based right here in Washington, D.C. He's an assistant professor of economics at the George Washington University, a former economist with the Australian Treasury, and Emma's favourite sparring partner from the ABC, Dr. Stephen Hamilton. Welcome to Recap. How are you doing? G'day, mate. Great great to be here. Yes, yeah, so excited that we could have you here today. Um, it's been really, really exciting for me. This has been my first time in the U.S. Um, so, And I've been really struck by how it's both the best and the worst experiences that I've had in some ways. But I'd really love to get your take, first of all, on America more broadly. What is you love about it, why you live mm. here, um, if there's anything that you're less keen on, and what it's like <laughs> being an Australian here in the US. Uh, yeah, it's a difficult... Now I have to think carefully about how I'm going to offend all the... Uh, how right. many Americans listen to this podcast? <laughs> Probably not too many. <laughs> <laughs> so, you look, I came in 2012. I was at Treasury and... Uh, I guess I was a sort of dissatisfied public servant. You know, when you're an ambitious kind of go-getter, it can be kind of frustrating working Mm. in the bureaucracy. And so I decided to just take off for a few years. Reason why I never worked in the public service. Yeah, it's difficult. I would have found it quite (laughs) hanging in. It is, it is. And um, if you've seen me on Twitter, you know I I would be a terrible (laughs) public servant. (laughs) Same. (laughs) Yeah, so I went to Michigan. And so I I grew up in Queensland and – for someone who grew up with a beach in Queensland to be like dumped in the snow. I didn't know you were a Queenslander. Well, I'm a Queenslander as well. There you go. Yeah. Go Maroons. Yeah, hey. absolutely. Did you mighty watch? Maroons. Did you yeah. watch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, no. And, you know, yeah, dumped in Ann Arbor, which is, you know, polar vortex. Yeah. It's so cold that the Fahrenheit and Celsius uh, uh, cross. Negative 45 <laughs> or something. Same. Yeah, right. Anyway, so, yeah, and, it's a, and it was the Midwest. So the Midwest is a... Yeah, this is the thing about the US that I think a lot of Australians don't appreciate. I think there's a lot more homogeneity in Australian culture than there is in the US. Um, There are many different Americas, right? And that's true natural in in, in the natural sort of sense of the word, right? Different parts of the country have radically different kind of environments. But culturally there's huge differences. So, you know, I spent a lot of time in the Midwest. The Midwest is, is... 
you know, super um, – it's a bit more like Queensland mm. in the sense that people are very friendly, down yep. to earth, you know, come around to chat, mm-hmm. chat to people in the elevator. Yep. Um, but, you know, here on the East Coast, things are a bit more buttoned down, mm. you know. So there's this, there is this diversity in, in culture across, mm. across the country, which is really interesting. Um, so the things I, I love about America are that, you know, on average, you know, I find the, the stereotype is true in that they are an incredibly entrepreneurial people. So people really push hard, they, they work hard, maybe the system forces them to do that in a lot of respects, but it generates some pretty incredible things. You know, there are resourceful people, there are, you know, I, I, I went to the PhD program with, with a lot of American students and the Americans just worked harder. Mm-hmm. They worked more hours, they, they put more in um, just by nature. Mm-hmm. Um, and that generates, along with all sorts of other things, really a, a, a remarkable you know, it's the richest, it's the biggest richest country in the world. And the reason for that, I think, partly is cultural. Um, and then there's the flip side, which is sometimes you feel like it's a pretty alienating place. Mm. So if you drop something on the footpath, no one's going to come pick it up for you, you know. Whereas you, you spend five minutes back in Australia and it's like <laughs> bathed in the kind of egalitarian, you know, <laughs> sea of just wonderful... Yep. Um, friendly, kind of mm-hmm. generous spirit. And so as someone who kind of lives in both places, you know, I spent a couple of years back during the pandemic, there is a real sense of trade-off, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, yeah. there are wonderful things about America that I love yep. and then there are wonderful things about Australia that I love yep. and you can't have them both. Yeah. Uh, so at the moment I'm having this one yeah. <laughs> um, and who knows when I'll be back. Yeah, it's so interesting because like, I really found that um, like coming here, I think I probably came to it from a slightly different perspective where I came as a pretty critical, I think, person towards yeah. America. I had a pretty critical view of America, you know, um, like in the sorts of things that I knew about it were from reading like Howard Zinn's People's History of the yeah. United States, you know, like I come from that kind of a background. And then when I got here, I... I found I fell in love with so many aspects yeah, yeah. of it, but definitely noticing that part of it where it's like just that little bit less friendly than Australia. Um, maybe that's just more because we're here on the East Coast. I haven't been any of those, you know, sort of Midwestern places. But like just the things that they've been able to do here, like going to all the museums and learning yep. more about the history. I mean, it really is, like you're saying, there's a trade-off. Like clearly it's worked for them in a range of areas. Yes. Right? You have to remember there are you know, 15 times as many people yeah. in a landmass that's roughly the same. That's right. The landmasses are actually very close yeah, in terms yeah, of the contiguous really landmasses of the US and Australia. Um, so, and and that just remarkable population frames so many things yep. about America that you really notice, you know, so I you have these scares, you know, big Australia, you know, Kevin Rudd said a big Australia and then immediately mm. had to backflip. Uh, <laughs> Julie Gillard, you know, stuffed that in a, in a, in a drawer and we never heard of it again. Um, but America really does have that and it brings just, it brings tremendous benefits to the yeah. country. So That's it, opportunities and challenges that yeah. all, all of that brings along. Now, um, we're going to drill down a little bit more into the relationship between our two um, mm-hmm. countries and specifically we're here to talk about AUKUS. Now, uh, everyone who's listening at home might not be fully aware of it, but h- how would you describe AUKUS? What, what is it, what's its purpose? Yeah, I think it's... I mean, it was a strategic partnership between the two mm-hmm. countries. And, and I think a lot of people think when they hear AUKUS, they think submarine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as we were talking about before, submarine's kind of cool. You know, mm-hmm. if, if, yeah. you're, if you're like 100%. me, you know, you're a young guy, you kind of think, oh, that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but I but my understanding is that that the, the 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 sort of arrangement is much deeper than that. It's intended mm-hmm. to be broader. I mean, there's no getting around the uh, you know existence of China mm-hmm. and the tensions between China and and the U.S. and between China and Australia. Uh, and you know th- this partnership, I think, is framed around that mm. uh, between the UK, the US, and Australia as a means of kind of leaning against uh, China as a kind of growing strategic sort of force within uh, the Indo-Pacific. So, you know, I think the key is uh, Australia is in a pretty uh, what would I how would I put this strategically important location. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the U.S. obviously has a lot of, you know, advantages in terms of technology, uh, the, the size of its military. So, you know, England is in, I don't know, to tag along, I guess. That's what I was – that was going to be my next question. You're like, how did, how did the U.K. end yeah. up in this? Yeah, like, yeah. We're so close to China in the Pacific. Yeah, but you can understand the partnership. Like any partnership needs to have both parties being – having some comparative advantage there to bring to the table, to mm-hmm. offer to the other. And, uh, you know, Australia, just its location is incredibly advantageous. So, you know, we can partner with the US. Uh, they can provide a lot of the things that we need. We can provide some things they need and then maybe both of us get something out of the out of the deal. Yeah, like it, it's so interesting because I think there's a lot of different ways that you can look at an agreement like this, right? Um, uh, and uh, really I think it broads the boils down into three broad categories. I think there's obviously, just like you've touched on at the start, there's this sort of strategic military lens, which is very overt in an announcement like this. There's also the political or maybe even ideological lens that you could apply to it. And and then, of course, there's the economic lens that um, I'm sure we'll be unpacking given our backgrounds and interests. But before we like move into the yeah political and economic ones, like sticking with that strategic aspect... Um, it, you've answered it a little bit, but do you think it, it it really makes sense in the way that it's been sold to everyone? Like, do you think that they've communicated that really effectively? Yeah, it's a good question. Uh, it's sort of amorphous. I think the problem mm-hmm. is it's not clear exactly what it involves. Mm-hmm. So what is it, you know, I think there's been a lot of discussion, for example, of Australia being on the hook now, Yep. right? So we've been drawn into the US and, and we're somewhat you know, subsidiary to the US's mm. decision-making, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the way it's kind of been interpreted by some people. Mm-hmm. And that's not clear, mm-hmm. right? So I think mm-hmm. the way that it's been framed has been, it is this kind of hard-to-define, vague kind of thing that leaves it open to interpretation, right? Yes. So, yeah. uh, look, I think, you know, pinning it down to more specific things mm-hmm. like submarines yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and right. exactly what those submarines uh, involve and now mm. we thankfully have a bit more detail around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think lets you assess it more clearly, right? Mm-hmm. And I and and even even frankly, the assessment of that program already has had a lot of, I think, misinterpretation. A lot yeah. of people reading too much into things or incorrectly reading into things. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you look at those specific things, I think yeah, the costs and benefits are fairly clear and, and each person then can make kind of an assessment as to whether they think it's a good idea or not. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, since, since you're bringing up the subs, let's drill down into that because, A, we're both like very obsessed with them. Um, but like, you know, back home in Australia, like the front page news is always 
the first thing that they'll be talking about is three hundred eighty-three billion dollars. Three hundred eighty-three yeah. billion dollars. Yeah. You know, me, drives me mad. Drives absolutely. Me crazy. Yeah. But um, thinking about it from that, uh, applying that more economic lens, mm. what we're looking to get out of it is it worth that three hundred eighty-three billion mm. dollars? That that that's the sort of first question that they keep asking on the front pages. What's your take? Now here's the thing. So let's just be clear. I'm not a military expert. I am not a you know, my friend Sam Rogovind, you know, Sam Rogovind at the Lowy Institute. Uh, he, you know, I listen to him, I listen to other people, right? Yeah. I read widely and, and, and take in a range of views, people at Aspie, where mm -hmm. we're sitting right now. Yeah. Um, so, you know, but ultimately no one person has all of the skill set or background necessary to make these judgments, right? So I was, you know, there was recently this this. Red Scare panel in the Sydney Morning Herald that you would have heard about. Yep. Um, I was disappointed there were no economists. Yeah. You know, I did think that. I thought, hang on, why didn't they ask an economist here? Yep. Because I think actually these are defence procurement questions. That's right. Which are fundamentally economic questions, yes. right? So we can't mm -hmm. tell you the benefits. Mm -hmm. I think we have to talk to other people at Aspie and, and elsewhere about what those benefits are and we can have mm -hmm. that debate. But there are many other questions here that are really ec fundamentally economic, yeah. um, where people like you or I can kind of, I think, contribute something to that yeah. to that uh, conversation. So I just wanted to, in case we do have any friends in uh, foreign policy listening, yes, you know, right. I don't, they're going to be like, we have no military morons, strategic <laughs> tactical expertise, so we won't be talking about missiles and you know, tomahawk missiles. Are, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the benefits of nuclear propulsion. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but so here's what I would say. I would say if you take as given the arguments that the government is making, mm -hmm. which is that this is a critical strategic deterrent, mm -hmm. right? So it has yeah. some value mm -hmm. that we have this capability. Mm -hmm. uh, take that as given. Yep. And there's debate, right? Yep. Yeah, Lots of people disagree, but let's just take that as given. The yep. government is certainly assuming that. The mm -hmm. question is, you know, what does it cost us? Mm -hmm. And is that cost worth it? Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, when you frame it as three hundred eighty-three billion or whatever, mm -hmm. it seems insane, yeah. right? But if you frame it, you can frame anything in, in, over a thirty-year period, That's and it looks right. insane. It's look ridiculous, right? Yeah. I mean, you, you can literally think of any government program, multiply the annual cost by thirty, mm -hmm. and it's would never. It would seem just shocking to the average person. And and you've heard people use the NDIS as an example to kind of lean against this 383 billion number. Mm -hmm. I think it's 0.15% of GDP. Yeah, that's right. Now we spend roughly 2% of GDP on defense. Correct. So in that sense, you're increasing defense spending by less than 10% for what is being claimed to be a critical strategic asset. Uh, to me, that's clearly fine. I don't think we should worry too much about it. The other, th the other thing I would note, though, is it's important to put that into context, into the context of the overall kind of defence picture in Australia, which the yes. recent Defence Strategic Review does. Uh, and, and that review and the way the government approached it, I think, highlights a really important point, which is we could just keep expanding the defence budget without limit... But what I'd prefer to see is some discipline imposed on that defence budget so that the Defence Department and, you know, the people in uniform have to make choices mm. in a constrained way about the best 
way to achieve the objectives we have. That's exactly right. And that's what I keep having this conversation, not just in uh, the context of defence spending, but in a range of uh, government expenditure programs. We need to start shifting the conversation from one of cost to one of value. So what are we getting for that $383 billion? Not, is that too much? Is that too little? Things that are worth spending that much money on yes. things that aren't worth spending that much money on. Yes, and what do you have to give up? That's exactly right. right? So trade-offs. you have to give up something, right? You've either got to give up mm-hmm. high taxes yeah. or you've got to give up some other defence capability. Mm. And I don't know precisely what Aspie's uh, view is, uh, uh, but but my view would be for the first four years of the, the forward estimates, the government decided to make the Defence Department swallow it, right? Mm. And I think... Excellent, Mm -hmm. right? Before the election, I said, do not give the Defence Department one additional dollar. (laughs) (laughs) They waste enough bloody money as it is. Mm -hmm. Force them to figure out how to afford it. And, Mm -hmm. in fact, that's exactly what the government Mm -hmm. did and I think that's good. Now, whether that's... Good old constrained optimization. it's like (laughs) you're spending money on tanks and it's like, when are we going to fight a land war? Are we Mm -hmm. serious? Like... uh, And so what we got from that Defence Strategic Review, which I think is great, is a serious... It's a throwing away of the kind of uh, assumptions and kind of uh, status quo that we've had for a really long time that, you know, Australia has to be a shrunken down version of the US in terms Mm -hmm. of our military capabilities to one that's much more targeted and tailored to our unique circumstances, right? As an island nation, it makes sense to be spending money on... Great idea. That's right. Uh, Artillery and tanks, maybe not so much. Um, so, So I think... I think a part of AUKUS that's really important is it's forcing Australia to think critically about our role, about what we're willing to commit to this strategic outcome mm-hmm. and to be a bit more thoughtful about how we use our resources. Mm. Now, uh, stepping the, the the idea of costs and benefits back um, slightly from the, the real dollar terms, mm. what are we? What is this costing us in our relationship with China, who is such an important mm. trading partner? We're, they're both our lead trading partner and also the sole focus almost of this AUKUS deal. So h- how do you think that kind of plays out? Mm. Look, I, I think a better relationship with China is good and, mm. and, I, and I certainly applaud the new government for, <laughs> I think, making significant progress on that basis. Mm. Uh, like there's tangible progress and maybe part of that tangible progress is simply we needed a clean sheet, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, The Chinese needed a safe face and so a new government allowed them to do that. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But a better relationship with China is good, Mm -hmm. but I am – but there's a limit Mm. to that, Mm -hmm. right? And I think we need to – I think that we we have to draw a line and I think we have to – we have principles that we are not willing to budge on and I think we, that we should hold to those principles mm-hmm. and then the rest is diplomacy, yeah. right? Which, again, I'm not an expert in but, my, you know, my view is don't – something from the previous government that I think was unfortunate was that they they almost went out of their way to piss them off. Yeah. Right? It's yeah, like punch them in <laughs> – poke yeah. them in the eye. Yeah. It's like can we just leave it? You know, yeah. I, I, my, my Chinese friends say – you know, a really important part of Chinese culture is sort of pride. Mm. And if it costs you nothing not to bruise the pride mm. of your counterparty, then why, then not, do why not do it? Yeah. Right? Yeah. If it's costless, for God's sake, just don't just do it, right? right. So my, my view is like let's, 
you know, China gives us a list of demands. Mm-hmm. Bugger off. I don't, you know, yeah, I don't want yeah. any, you know, whatever. I don't want anything to do with that list of demand. We're not going to comply. Uh, we're a free country. But, you know, also let's not go out of the way to kind of poke them in the eye, yeah. right? And so AUKUS, I think, you know, it depends how we handle it, but I think it's a fine thing to do. I mean, I think Australia is well within its right to build, build its capabilities. Mm-hmm. China is doing the same at a much yep. more rapid pace. Um, pair that with a, a much better, more kind of delicate, thoughtful diplomatic engagement. Mm. And I think that's the way to go. Well, while I've been in, here in the US, I've been uh, reading uh, a biography of, of probably my favourite uh, American president, Teddy Roosevelt, really, right. really fantastic um, definitive biography by by called Edmund Morrison. Do you think this is a case of You have of a bit us- of a Teddy Roosevelt vibe. Oh, he, uh, I could do a whole podcast I mean, on Teddy <laughs> Roosevelt, mate. Like, <laughs> um, he's fantastic. But is this a case of his famous saying of, we need to speak yeah. softly but carry a big stick. Absolutely, Do you think that's what's happening. Exactly, mm. that's right. Yeah. That's a perfect. That's a perfect encapsulation mm. of the appropriate policy for Australia. Um, uh, so I agree with that. Now, the other really, I, I think, critical question that that comes up in the Australian media and in the Australian consciousness when we talk about this is the nuclear aspect of the mm. subs, right? Um, it, do, do you think there's any concern that should be paid to that or, or do you think it's totally blown out of proportion? I think that people whinging about the nuclear component have other agendas that I have no interest mm. in engaging with. Oh, very interesting. <laughs> that's, a, that's a sub-tweet there. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I'm, I'm agnostic about it. I have no qualms about nuclear in any way, mm-hmm. uh, like I'm not anti-nuclear power, I'm not anti-nuclear mm-hmm. propulsion. Uh, I think we ought, ought to all be anti-nuclear weapons, but, yep. you know, unfortunately they exist. So uh, my view is it's an engineering question. Yeah. Full stop. Yeah. And if, if an engineering and, I guess, strategic question. So yes. if the people who know about that think it's a good idea, there's disagreement about that. Yeah. Uh, again, my, my friend Sam Rogovine disagrees. But if we agree that it's necessary, then and then if the economics stacks up, do it right. I don't. I don't think we should be worried about. I mean, I, my understanding is uh, the whole purpose of the a big part of the American deal is that these things can be basically uh, sealed, mm. uh, and we don't need to refuel them. We don't need to worry about a partner to refuel them. They arrive in Australia in a box and get installed into the submarine, and and we're done. So who cares what's inside the box? Now. Uh, this brings me to another question on, on I guess, uh, costs and benefits. Um, when we think about the strategic, I, I a bit of background, I was uh, in the national office for the MWU and I coordinated the shipbuilding and defence industries there mm. um, with my great friend uh, Glenn Thompson. The I didn't know secretary. that. Mm. Yeah, so I, I have a real, um, you know, like passion for this area yes. and I find it really, really interesting. And we heard the same things when we would talk to, you know, people from the military, the people who know what they're talking about and they'd say, this is the best way to accomplish the tasks that Australia's yep. unique position or Australia's naval's unique position. Yeah, we're a big island in the middle of we've got to cover longer stretches than any other navy in the world we've got this really really you know broad naval border to be patrolling and all the way through our our trading um partners and our trade routes but uh, the question i have uh, over that is not i'm kind of agnostic in general but i think Generally, the Australian people, the attitude has been against nuclear sure. when it's come up. Sure. So I think that's that's one factor, even if I personally don't mm-hmm. have a horse in the race. Um, but what other – what's the opportunity cost by choosing this because it's the easiest, most available strategy rather than investing in 
other research approaches, what other things we might have been able to accomplish by taking that challenge as an opportunity? Do you follow my, my thinking? Like, what do you have if in we mind? can invest I don't in know what you have in mind. about, yeah, like, I don't know. Like the Australia has, has shown that it's anti-nuclear in general, that, that mm. that's been the, and, and I feel like there is a disconnect yeah, okay. between yeah. us saying well, I don't know that. about submarines. I don't know about mm, submarines. Mm, I mean, mm, submarines have this mm. air independent propulsion yeah. and there's, all, there's alternatives, right? That's right. Like yeah. that can happen. I don't mm-hmm. know anything about those, mm-hmm. but fine. But more broadly, yep. like I think the nuclear question, uh, like again, I'm agnostic about nuclear. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think if a country has nuclear, they should double down. Yep. And the fact that countries like Germany are eliminating nuclear, I just want to mm. bash my head against the wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, Australia doesn't have nuclear. We never did. Mm. Uh, and I think we just take that as given. My, my understanding is that moving to nuclear power in Australia makes no sense economically. Mm. Uh, and we just make the best of what we have, right? And that will force us to do other things, mm. right? Yeah. So you look at the penetration in Australia in um, rooftop solar, for yes. example. Yeah, we lead the world. Compare that to the US or compare that to France or whatever, mm. the UK, we had to take a different path, right? Mm. Um, and, th- you know, rooftop solar and, and decentralised power generation can kind of uh, smooth out some of these like problems with power generation yep. that 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 nuclear would otherwise do. So yeah, I mean, I think the point is no technology is a silver bullet. Yes. No technology is absolutely necessary. Um, I think ideally, starting at the start, we want to be agnostic because mm-hmm. why pay more than you need to to get what you want? Um, but given your constraints, you know. Let's do the most efficient thing we can. Mm. That would be that would be my argument. So, for example, you know, I think the choice to go with an American submarine rather than a French submarine, you know, that's a question, right? About mm. what 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 the best thing to do is given that choice. Mm-hmm. And since we've decided to go down the American route, um, mm. uh, and uh, we've had to tear up all the all the plans and all, all the things that have been made. It's a pretty funny story, the, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, well, funny is one word. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> kind of expensive. Yeah, very, very expensive. Expensive uh, strategic. Yeah, <laughs> strategically. Like we yeah, have like right. really old submarines, yeah. Yeah, that's right. And uh, like I said, the Collins class, they're really going to be entering the sort of like yep. end of their, uh, the, their edge of being useful into the 2030s um, and – we're likely not to see the new submarines being built until the 2040s yeah. if, if we, we get to that And point. they do this life of cycle extension. Yes, that's which right. Which when you, when you learn about is actually like literally rebuilding the entire submarine. Yeah, literally. Yeah, yeah. that's right. <laughs> which is kind of like, whoa, that, really? That, that whole, whole, uh, whole question if, uh, you know, if you replace each part, is it still the same submarine? No, exactly. Right? Like, no, what's like, that? Um, the end of it. The axe. What is yeah. it? Uh, anyway, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, now to sort of plug that capability gap over the next like sort of 15 years, the discussion has been that we'll buy two Virginia class um, submarines from the Americans in the interim. Yep. Uh, two, three, three, yeah, three. Two three, 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 and then we have yep. an option for two more. That's right, yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. Could be five, could be three, yeah. That's right. Um, now, uh, I've been having a lot of conversations while we've been here in uh, Washington, D.C., and it seems like that's the only part of the, the conversation that the Americans are slightly concerned about because they're like, why are we selling a couple of Is hours right? when we need Interesting. them? Interesting. Uh, Aren't giving a, them a bunch of money to build their I mean, industrial yeah, like capacity? It's, it's literally uh, an like exchange pa- for goods yeah. and services with money. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, um, but, but more, but but more than that, it's not just yeah. we're buying some 
out from under them. We're helping them expand yeah, supply that's so right. we both win, right? I mean, and I think that's the idea. That's right. And currently the shipyards um, up in Connecticut, they mm. produce about 1.2 a year. Now, when I was speaking to um, Congressman um, Joe Courtney's office, who's mm. the congressman, Mr. Shipbuilding, who um, uh, you know covers the, the, the workforce that are building the Virginia classes, they said that it's actually closer to 1.6 at the moment and that the <laughs> 1.2 is very, very bad, um, <laughs> you, you know, sort of rhetoric. But anyway, we'll, we'll say between 1.2 and 1.6, um, you know, and to be able to fulfill um, uh, the AUKUS agreement, they're going to need uh, like two and a half to three per year. Now, that's going to be a massive scale. Yeah, that is crazy. Industrial mm. capabilities. Um, and we're really hopeful, at least we are at the Centre for New Industry, that there will be an avenue for Australian workers to be coming over to the US to mm. learn on mm. from some of this so that we can import some of that back because there is currently a bit of a skills and capabilities gap Yes, um, uh, between the, the ramp down of Collins class and then the ramp up again of yes. the Virginia or the SSN AUKUS, I should say. They're not right. going to be exactly Virginia class, but they're going to be built off either that or the Astutes as we know. Um, do, do you see the, the value in that and making sure that we are building our sovereign capabilities back in Australia mm. or, or do you think it's perfectly fine for us to just be buying these and like really yes. it's a waste of money to be doing anything that's else? A, that's a really important. That's probably the most mm. important thing that we'll talk about today, I guess. Yes. Um, <laughs> now you might, you know, people – now if, if people know me mm-hmm. who are listening, yes. then I, I reckon they're going to – have something in their mind about what I'm going to say yeah. to this question. I'm very interested in the answer. Which is, you know, is Pete, but he's going to hate it. You know, he's going to hate it. He's going to say, yeah. go, go mm. and buy it off the shelf. Mm. What are you doing, yeah. you know? Uh, I was very happy when Australia mm. stopped building cars. Mm-hmm. I thought that was a good thing mm-hmm. because it made immediately every Australian richer, right? Because every job in the car industry cost two to $300,000, right, to maintain. And I want people to do... Something else, right? Now there can be a transition, and we've talked about that a lot, mm. you and I, right? Mm. With the with the green transition, and so the government can support people to move to to reskill, right? Mm. But I think we can't keep people doing something that has no future. Mm. So that's usually my response to questions of industry policy. Yeah, we're going to have to respectfully agree to disagree on that one, but like, <laughs> I'll let you play it out. Um, best thing that government did. Okay, mm-hmm. so is <laughs> there's going to be a lot of very angry yeah, people. Yeah, yeah. There's um, very lot of, lot of very angry people in this room now, Stephen. <laughs> so anyway, no, no, no but no, no. but mm-hmm. the difference with the subs is it does have a future. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the whole point. The whole basis of the agreement mm-hmm. is that we are going to have submarines forever. Yeah. You know. More, more or less forever. Yeah. Um, the as UK, far as we can imagine. Right? Anyway. Yeah. And we're going to need to build new ones and then those ones are going to get old and we're going to need to build new ones after that. And we're just going to keep building forever. Yeah. And, you know, Australia has the kind of scale mm-hmm. that can support – we're buying more submarines than the UK is. Yeah. And they have a capability, Yeah. right, to build their own submarines. Yeah. So to my mind, if we recognise as a country that this is something we're going to need forever mm-hmm. – then of course you should build the capability, yes, right? Yeah. It's got nothing to do. The car industry is a question of like, does this make sense for us as a country to produce? Mm-hmm. Well, it does make sense to make your own um, submarines uh, for, for various reasons that we can go into, <laughs> but it's certainly a capability that isn't just like, this is it and then it's done. We actually yeah. need this capability mm-hmm. forever. And the way these industries work is that they need constant output. 
mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah, they've, right. We've, they've talked a lot about Continuous this. Continuous build. Right? The, yeah. In the UK is that you stop building one and you build the next one in order to maintain that skilled workforce, in order to maintain your supply base, all Absolutely. of the things you need. Yeah. You've got to have this thing going forever. So to my mind, if we are going to commit to this thing, it actually makes perfect sense for Australia to invest in the yes. industrial capability yes. in order to do that. So, you know, my opposition <laughs> to Australian manufacturing in certain situations is merely just does it make sense for us to do it? Mm-hmm. And it just doesn't make sense for us to do lots of things, right? Yeah. So this seems to be one that it does make mm-hmm. sense to do. I think that's a really interesting position. We won't feel better del- now? We won't <laughs> delve into the car one because we have very different views on that. Um, but uh, we'll talk about that later yeah, after we record beer, this yeah. over a couple a beer, of beers yeah. when uh, we don't have sensitive ears listening. Um, but I think that's both a very interesting point that you make and that it's not only consistent with everything that you've said previously around the strategic question, yeah. which, which I appreciate, but it's also... You'd be surprised, but that's actually what we talk about as well when we're thinking about industry mm. policy, right? It's like, where does it make sense for us to be spending this yes. money? And if it does make sense, then why would we do it half yes. halfway? Yes, and I, I think we're perfectly aligned on on that question, and and we're in agreement that uh, you know, unfortunately, submarines will. For the foreseeable future, yes. it'd be a, a lovely world if we didn't need any any military whatsoever and we could all mm. hold hands, but that's not the world that we live in. But right? it's also a question of scale. Yes. Yeah. You know, so, you know, mm. Australia's a small market. This was a big problem with the car industry, right, mm. is that, like, mm-hmm. Holden was building, like, 30,000 cars a year, yep. which, you know, you need a factory to be building between mm. two and 500,000 cars a year to make sense. and. Yep. We have a geographical disadvantage from being mm-hmm. so far away from everyone else that adds a cost to exporting, oh, you know, yep. all of this yep. stuff, right? Um, but a submarine, it's like, well, again, we have high, we're going to have higher scale than the UK does. Yep. And we're not just building submarines, we're building ships, yep. right? We're building we're all sorts of other patrol boats. We're and there's a lot of complementarities between yeah, these absolutely. things. So I, I just, this is it's something that drives me a bit crazy about both, I wouldn't say all economists, but some mm-hmm. economists. Mm-hmm and certainly a lot of people on the right, is mm-hmm. just a sort of reflexive, yes. unthinking opposition to whole swathes of yeah, possibilities. Yeah. And treating what are diverse <laughs> as sectors as homogenous. It's just like yeah, industry policy right. bad, yeah, yeah. cross. Yeah. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I look, this is, I'm sure the listeners, if they know me, thought <laughs> yeah. I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah. But I hope I'm a little bit more enlightened than that. Yeah. I think we need to look at each situation on its own merits. Yes. Assess them. Now, in my opinion, that's very frequently going to end up in a, an answer that says we shouldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. But not always. Yeah, right? And I can right. think of lots of examples where we should. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, I think this is one of those topics where we could probably be talking about it mm. all, all, all night and we probably will. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that's the really important uh, like through line, the, the important thesis statement of this conversation mm. is that for what – if we, we need to take the strategic question as read because the government certainly has. Mm. So if we're going to be doing this, then we need to be extracting as much value out of it for the Australian people, for the Australian taxpayers yeah. who are footing the bill sure. and for the people who are relying on this industry, making sure that we are building that capability in a way that is sustainable going into the future. Yep. So um, I think it, our listeners might be surprised to agree that we're ending on a point of very much <laughs> an agreement on that. <laughs> um, but um, it's been really 
really fantastic to unpack all of these things with you, Stephen. Thank you so much for, for coming along and having a chat with us. I'm sure our listeners will have enjoyed it, even if they don't agree with everything that's don't been said. Don't give them my Twitter handle. <laughs> we won't, okay, we won't be giving that a shout out. But um, that's it for another episode of Recap um, here at Per Capita. I've been Shirley Jackson, joined, of course, by uh, Dr. Stephen Hamilton. It's been a fantastic discussion. Thanks so much for listening to us. Cheers. Bye.